The number of deaths from overdose set a record in the nation last year. The CDC reports nearly 110,000 Americans died in 2022. The highly lethal drug fentanyl was the cause for the majority of the overdose deaths and is the top illicit opioid of concern. What's the latest information on addiction prevention, treatment, and the efforts of law enforcement to stop the flow of these dangerous drugs to Alaska? We'll discuss combating overdose deaths and addiction today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by... Northern Air Cargo, providing cargo transportation to nine Alaska communities. NAC offers options including cargo charters to get freight where it needs to be. Northern Air Cargo, serving Alaska since 1956. The Alaska Fisheries Development Foundation is excited to announce the 30th anniversary of the Alaska Symphony of Seafood. The call for products is out now, with the deadline to enter October 7, 2023. Additionally, the call for judges and sponsors is also live. Details can be found at afdf.org. Just click on the Alaska Symphony of Seafood tab for more information on entering and sponsoring. This message sponsored by AFDF. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. It's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. The CDC's national information does show that although there was a record number of overdose deaths last year, fatalities rose more slowly than in previous years. Some states saw a decrease in the number of deaths in 2022, but there were also states that saw increased rates, including Alaska. The high numbers mean that overdose deaths from synthetic opioids like fentanyl are now one of the leading causes of death in the country and have contributed to a decrease in life expectancy. Not great news. But there are many dedicated people working on multiple fronts to help educate Alaskans about the dangers of drug use and addiction. Some provide counseling, training, and naloxone to prevent death. And others are going after the drug traffickers to stop the flow of illegal opioids to our state. We've got a few of those dedicated Alaskans with us today. Karen Malcolm-Smith is the president of the David Dillon Foundation and is in the studio with us today. Commander Cornelius Sims is the head of the Alaska State Troopers Drug Enforcement Unit, is also in studio with us. And Sandy Snodgrass is an advocate and a counselor and is with us in the studio today. And on by phone is U.S. Attorney Lane Tucker, who is the U.S. Attorney for Alaska. Thanks, all of you, for being here with us today for this important discussion. You also can join our discussion today, Alaskans. Are you worried about drugs in your community and want more information about what to watch for? Are you interested in getting trained to use naloxone and wondering where to get kits? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 5508422 you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org I want to start off with the law enforcement officials, U.S. Attorney Lane Tucker and Commander Cornelius Sims. I talked about the stark numbers, overdose deaths are increasing in Alaska. What do you want people to understand about the opioid and overdose problem in Alaska? What are you seeing right now and how is that changing? Commander Sims, why don't you start us off? Uh, what we're seeing is, to be honest, there's a, an increase 
um, due to the, the high demand in Alaska uh, for drugs, for illicit drugs. Uh, the market for them is higher than anywhere else in the nation. And so uh, drug trafficking organizations are bringing these illicit drugs into Alaska, trafficking them into Alaska, and causing uh, devastation to our, our towns and our communities. Um, we're also seeing an increase in seizures of fentanyl and opioids and, the, and other drugs as well uh, with our different, um, with our different uh, task force that we have. Uh, and you know, I've, ha I've had the question asked to me of how are they getting it in and uh, you name a way to arrive in Alaska and that's how drugs are getting into Alaska. Yeah. Um, U.S. Attorney Tucker, will you pick it up there? Uh, Commander Sims talked about the high demand, that the market is the highest in Alaska. What can you tell us about why? Well, Alaska is typically more expensive for everything, as you know. And so, for example, in Portland, where a fentanyl pill might sell for $5, uh, and in Anchorage, where it might sell for $15, and Kodiak, it would sell for $100. So when you're looking at anywhere from three to 20 times the price per pill, it's a very attractive market. Uh, and it's a very, it's fentanyl at least, is a very easy drug to market because it's in everything. It's in cocaine, it's in heroin, it's in meth, it's in marijuana, it's in fake oxy pills, Adderall pills. Um, and people get it on social media and have it delivered to their house. So it is a much more uh, diverse network of distribution, and because it's so highly addictive, it's in demand. Hmm. You're both working in tandem, Commander Sims and U.S. Attorney Tucker, uh, on, on drug enforcement. How do you work on stopping the flow of illegal opioids to Alaska? I know the work goes beyond the troopers catching traffickers and bringing them for prosecution. Attorney Tucker, could you start off by describing the Organized Crime and Drug Enforcement Task Force partnership that's led by the Department of Justice? Yes. Um, we actually have several initiatives and task forces in Alaska. The Organized Crime and Drug Enforcement Task Force, which we we refer to as OSADEP, has been around for about 40 years. And the goal of it is to reduce the flow and dismantle the organizations that bring drugs in. So it's really focused on large amounts of drugs that are being brought in by organizations like cartels. But we also have Project Safe Neighborhoods, which targets violent crime in high crime areas that often involves drugs. We have the Alaska High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Initiative, uh, the FBI Safe Streets Task Force, the DEA's Operation Overdrive and Operation Engage, and all of these involve federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies working together to uh, do everything from dismantle the cartels to arrest a dealer on the street. Um, and in cases where these drugs result in deaths. If we have evidence, we do everything we can to tr tie that death back to a particular dealer or organization and charge uh, murder so that we can make the biggest impact possible on the flow of drugs into the state. Thank you for that, U.S. Attorney Tucker. Commander Sims, turning to you, Alaska State Troopers have, as you well know, enormous areas that they have to cover. 
How does the fight against opioids here compare to other states with a lot of rural communities and, and that has a population that's so spread out? What do you hear from your colleagues in the lower 48 about trying to get ahead of this? Uh, when I talk to them, they actually find it, for lack of better terms, quite impressive. The, the number that we have and the, the number of, when I say number, number of investigators or, or uh, task force officers we have investigating these crimes and then the large landmass that we have to cover, um, they're often shocked that we're able to really do much. Um, it's, it's just a lot to cover in, in the different ways. Uh, it's not, you know, straight up highway traffic interdictions that are commonly known down in the rest of the, the lower 48. A lot of this is uh, through the airways and coming in and out of uh, airplanes, boats. Um, and so with our number, there's, I have 29, including myself, uh, Alaska state troopers assigned, uh, commissioned officers. And then there's multiple with task force through the Alaska HIDA, HIDA. So with the feds and the federal agencies and local agencies, uh, that number, it's over 50, uh, with just state and local, um, in that. So that are in the different areas, uh, large number here in the hubs or in Fairbanks and, and Palmer, and then more out in there in Western Alaska and our villages to uh, make an impact out there. And if it gets through Anchorage and on a plane or some kind of con uh, conveyance to the village to try to catch it when it arrives there and conduct the investigation. Uh, we've, U.S. Attorney Tucker and Commander Sims, you both have mentioned the Haida. Alaska was designated a high-intensity drug trafficking area, state or Haida, in 2018. The criteria for it calls for an area being a significant center of drug production or distribution. State, local, and tribal police are all committed to fighting the problem. Drug activities are creating significant harm and a significant increase in federal resources is needed. So these th that's some of the criteria that sets out wh what uh, areas are designated as, as Haida areas. Talk about what of these criteria most apply to Alaska uh, and what resources does this unlock for fighting opioids here? Um. Definitely the, the amount of drugs that are coming into Alaska. I'm just looking at stats from 2000. Give me a second here. From uh, 2022, uh, our seizures were, uh, well, we'll just go with fentanyl. was 26 uh, kilograms of fentanyl, uh, 81 kilograms of meth, 26 kilograms of uh, cocaine, and 40 uh, kilograms of heroin. And that is just... Through, through the Haida. Um, that doesn't include necessarily what the our, our federal partners were able to um, seize. Um, so that's that's a big one we have is just the amount of drugs coming in. Uh, clearly the harm, uh, we've talked about the, 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 the drugs are causing, we've talked about the uh, overdose overdoses and the overdose deaths, um, which have impacted uh, many in the state and uh, impacts the community, impacts the, 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 econ the economy of Alaska as well. And um, and the production, like what people are able to do, what, what, what is happening, um, it, it's greatly uh, uh, impacted by uh, the illicit drugs and, and the trafficking. Absolutely, and the crime that surrounds those activities. Um, U.S. Attorney Tucker, combating opioids is one of your main priorities. Why is that? Talk to us about why that is uh, a main focus for you. 
opioids generally um, are the most addictive and most lethal drug. Uh, and for example, in 2021, Alaska had the highest increase of fentanyl de- deaths in the country, went up by 75% in one year. And so, say about six or seven years ago, we had no fentanyl prosecutions at all. Uh, and over the course of time, federal prosecutions generally have gone from high being cocaine to methamphetamines, and to now fentanyl. Meth is still the number one drug that is seized and prosecuted in Alaska. It is rapidly being overtaken by fentanyl. But the reason our office is so focused on fentanyl is that it's poison. Two milligrams can be a lethal dose. And we have seized millions of doses in Alaska, far more doses than there are people. Uh, It is the number one health epidemic in the country, uh, and it's only going to get worse uh, as this continues to be marketed and, you know, particularly to our young people. It's now the leading cause of death among males ages 15 to 44 in the country. That's just stunning to to take that in and consider um, what an enormous amount of, of uh, tragedy and loss this drug is causing. If you're just joining us, we're talking about combating fentanyl and other illegal opioids in Alaska. Our guests in studio are Karen Malcolm Smith, the president of the David Dillon Foundation. Foundation. Sandy Snodgrass is the CEO of Alaska Fentanyl Response. We have Commander Cornelius Sims, who is the commander of the Alaska State Troopers Drug Enforcement unit, and U.S. Attorney Lane Tucker, who is the U.S. Attorney for Alaska. You can join our conversation statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in the Anchorage area, the local number is 907-550-8422. 907-550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. We have, Commander Sims, you were talking about how they're coming in from everywhere. We have porous borders with vessels entering the state from other places. There have been a number of very large busts in Kodiak and Ketchikan. Excuse me. What is known about why there's been so much coming to those, those two communities in particular? Is there anything you can talk about that, either you or U.S. Attorney Lane Tucker? I'll start with it. Uh, my well, it's a way to get in. Uh, if you think flying through an, and going through an airport, uh, when an individual decides to traffic in that manner, there's numerous stop gaps. Numerous, uh, you know, you got to get through TSA. Uh, there's law enforcement throughout those throughout airports uh, that are looking for traffickers that are looking for uh, people doing nefarious activities. Uh, so that, that there's a lot of um, hurdles for them, a lot of chances a, a, a trafficker would have to take. Uh, coming in through a community by vessel through uh, Ketchikan, Kodak, you, you name anywhere you can get in through by a vessel. There's not as many. There's not as many. Uh, all the boats that come in, there's there's not necessarily a officer down there to catch and inspect every boat or even contact everybody that's coming off a boat. Sure. There's not as many eyes watching them as they, they come in. So it's one would feel more comfortable. It's a different way to get it in and then uh, truly then traffic it out 
I'll say north, you know, from Kodiak, you put it and go by it via ferry and bring it up to Anchorage and distribute it that way. Just uh, traffickers are looking for different ways to bring uh, narcotics into Alaska. And, and when we start to show a, I say we law enforcement starts to show a, an impact in a certain area, they will look for another area. How difficult is it to stop drugs from getting to rural Alaska when there are still flights you can get on headed for rural places where you don't have to go through security? I'm wondering why that hasn't changed so that every flight leaving, especially the Ted Stevens airport, are running people and their stuff through screening. That just seems like a huge hole to me. You know, that it is. It, there, there is a... We, and and I, I should say we do get a lot of tips from communities, uh, from the public, from those that are concerned for their areas and for the traffickers bringing drugs in and our investigators that are assigned to uh, rather it's parcel interdiction or airport interdictions work those uh, as best they can to get somebody to make contact. Um, but we still have the all the flights that don't go through any kind of security that Someone can just hop on and, and go on and take what they want. And uh, we, and we do. We, we we watch for those as they're coming into the village. Uh, if they, if it's arriving somewhere where, I'll have, where I have an investigator, they, they watch for the arrival of those flights to see who's coming in and, and out. And that's and the same with uh, at the, the major airport at, at Ted Stevens. We have guys that look for um, those coming in and out of the airports and going to the different communities and trying to make an impact and they, they are successful. They are able to identify individuals and get information through a lot of times through uh, tips from the public of be on the lookout for this individual, or that individual are able to make contact and, and uh, stop them and, and interdict them from trafficking at, at that time. U.S. Attorney Tucker, what would you say about this? I mean, to me, is there any Alaska's a Haida designated area, high intensity drug trafficking area. Is there any resource on the federal side that you can bring to apply some pressure to make all flights go through screening? I got on a flight in Fairbanks once some years back with one of our U.S. senators, did not have to go through any kind of security screening, which I thought it's all fine until it's not. Um, I was really surprised by that. Uh, U.S. Attorney Tucker, what what can be done about that? Well, we're doing a lot of things. Uh, for example, there's a very significant interdiction effort at Ted Stevens Airport. Uh, the Postal Service has just added a number of additional inspectors. But what we're really aggressively looking at in concert with our state, local, and tribal partners is trying to step up interdiction efforts in the villages. And, and you know, as you know, Attorney General Garland was here last week, and we traveled with Senator Murkowski to Galena. And one of the topics of conversation was how to do this. For example, Huslia now inspects every package that comes in on an aircraft and all of the luggage. And if someone won't consent to that, they're not allowed to stay in the village. So, you know, obviously we have to have probable cause to arrest someone, but we're looking at ways that constitutionally we can inspect uh, places at sources where there aren't postal service inspectors. For example, Merrill Field, all these small airports all over the state. It's a much more difficult endeavor in a place where there are hundreds and hundreds of landing strips in little villages. Uh, but we have to do that. And we've been doing it for a long time with alcohol, which is still 
probably the number one driver of violent behavior in villages, but fentanyl is going to be the number one driver of death. It's already hit Dillingham, and it's on its way to the villages. So this is an incredibly important effort that we're engaging in. U.S. Attorney Tucker, staying with you for a moment here, the Alaska website for the high-intensity drug trafficking area, the HIDA, notes that in 2021, more than 7,300 pills with fentanyl and other fentanyl compounds were captured. Last summer, 2022, nearly two and a half million doses were seized. What do you attribute this increase in seizure to? Are there larger amounts flowing to Alaska contributing to these shocking numbers, or are you catching more traffickers because of better coordination between law enforcement? Many, much larger amounts. And that's why the Department of Justice, one of our initiatives is to focus on the precursor chemicals from China. Um, So typically the way the fentanyl manufacturing and distribution works is that the chemicals are manufactured in China. They are transshipped to Mexico where they are manufactured into myriad forms and then distributed to the United States. So, for example, uh, just last month, four chemical manufacturing companies based in China and eight Chinese nationals were charged with federal crimes by the Department of Justice. So we're trying to disrupt the supply at the source because it is increasing so rapidly, um, but we're also adding all kinds of resources to help interdict the drug and I think probably the most effective part of this campaign is the resources that are, that are being added for public outreach and education, because we can't stop it all and we cannot arrest our way out of this problem. We have to teach people about fentanyl and that it is poison. One pill literally can kill you. That's not an exaggeration. That's why DEA's campaign is called One Pill Can Kill. And it's remarkable to me how many people I talk to that know about fentanyl, but they don't really know about fentanyl. Uh, And they're shocked at how it gets to their children and what it can do to them. What forms are you seeing the drug uh, currently presenting here? Commander Sims, maybe you want to weigh in on that. I've heard of rainbow, rainbow fentanyl that looks like candy. Also heard that cannabis is sometimes laced with fentanyl. What are you capturing and what should parents and users of these drugs be watching for? Um, so it, you, yeah, uh, marijuana laced with it. Uh, we're seeing a lot in pill form uh, and we're seeing powder fentanyl uh, in Alaska. Uh, I would say majority is, has been has been pill form uh, and far as parents telling kids anybody that if you didn't get it from the pharmacy yeah don't take it it's it's that's what it comes down to uh i don't care if it's your best friend i don't care if it looks like the exact same pill that you did get at the pharmacy if you did not physically receive that from a pharmacy do not take that pill you just don't know what you're what you are getting yeah Um, yeah and i really would like to emphasize that i mean in portland they just had three kids who Uh, took Adderall to stay up for exams, and they got it on social media, so it wasn't from a pharmacy, and it had fentanyl in it. And all three of them overdosed, and I believe two of them died. Mm. So, and it's, you know, it's in marijuana, and marijuana's not the drug it used to be, right? I mean, people are like, well, it's okay. It's been okay in Amsterdam for decades. Amsterdam caps THC at 15%. A lot of the marijuana we seize now 
has 95% THC in it, and it is altering children's brain chemistry permanently. It is, it is simply not the drug of the 70s. Very disturbing information there as we are talking today about stopping fentanyl from reaching Alaska with our guests uh, soon to be on. We're, we're grateful for the patience of Karen Malcolm Smith, who is the president of the Dave and Dillon Foundation, and Sandy Snodgrass, who is the CEO of the Alaska Fentanyl Response, as we're talking first with our law enforcement folks, Commander Cornelius Sims, of the commander of the Alaska State Troopers Drug Enforcement Unit, and U.S. Attorney for Alaska, Lane Tucker. You can join our conversation at 1-800-478-8255. That's statewide, 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at Alaska Public Talk at alaskapublic.org. <laughs> so I, I want to uh, get Sandy and Karen in this discussion now. Uh, we're getting close to the bottom of the hour break. But Sandy, last year, legislation was introduced called Bruce's Law, named for your son. It was co-sponsored by Congresswoman Mary Peltola in the House and supported by Senators Murkowski and Sullivan in the Senate. The law aims to coordinate federal efforts to raise awareness and supply funding to community organizations working on prevention. I was trying to figure out this morning what's going on with that. And uh, what I was able to search and find was that Senator Murkowski reintroduced it this spring. So is it still waiting for passage? It is still waiting for, for passage, and um, Representative Trone reintroduced it into the House, so it's still making its way through committees, and that process is a long process. So I understand that. So in the meantime, I'm doing it in Alaska. Exactly what Bruce's Law was, would do through AK Fentanyl Response is a prevention awareness and education program. and. Bruce's law will enable that around the country once it passes, but I'm doing it now. And and for folks who aren't familiar with your work in this regard and, and why you are motivated to do this work, can you talk a little about your backstory here? So my only child, Bruce, was poisoned to death. He was a victim of a drug-induced homicide in Anchorage on October 26th of 2021. He received 100% fentanyl somehow in Anchorage that day. And somehow I, you know, not that I would ever be okay, not that I will ever be okay again, but had it been an illicit drug like heroin or methamphetamine or cocaine, somehow I could have made some kind of peace with that, that he overdosed on a street drug. But when we got the toxicology report back that it was 100% fentanyl, that just, that's not going to work for me. That's just not okay with me. Fentanyl is a poison, hands down, it's a poison. So I do whatever I can do to let other Alaskans and other people around the country know that fentanyl is a poison. It's here and it's coming for our children. You called his death a drug-induced homicide. I believe all illicit drug deaths are drug-induced homicides. In a broader policy scope, I believe that 
drugs are poison, illicit drugs are poison. There is no FDA recommended dosage for heroin, for example. Any heroin dose is a poisoning. You know, just a shift in language like that is interesting and, and powerful. Commander Sims, what are your thoughts about sort of shifting? Because for so long, a lot of the onus and the blame was was put on the people who were using rather than the people who were supplying. Not enough, it seemed like, was, you know, it's like, well, it's your fault because you want that stuff. Uh, I like the turn on it. I'll be honest. Uh, it, it to, to look and, and, and it, that's what it is. Uh, it has impacted many. Um, I've lost friends. I've lost. Well, I've lost friends. I've had family members impacted by this. I've been impacted by it. Uh, let's be honest. So um, I, I actually really I like that using that term because that's what it is. It, it is a poisoning. Uh, there is no. There's no other term for it. Yeah, it's poisoning. Uh, you know the the comment you made about the FDA. There's no approved uh, dose for any of the horrible drugs that we're discussing. So it the, is a poisoning. Absolutely. We the, the only mind mood altering substance that has an FDA recommendation is is alcohol. When someone takes too much alcohol, you don't call overdose control, you call poison control, mm -hmm. even for FDA recommended dosage of alcohol that's been exceeded. Absolutely, it is called poisoning, alcohol poisoning, yes. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue our discussion on the work to end the flow of illicit opioids to Alaska as Talk of Alaska continues statewide. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. What gives you strength? Strength comes from teaching the Alaskan way of life, getting wood, fishing, hunting, helping people in the community, and being an example for the next generation. If you have forgotten your strength, remember, there's hope, there's joy, there's love, there's peace everywhere. Share what gives you strength at recoveralaska.org slash share your strength. This message sponsored by Recover Alaska. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're talking today about ending the scourge of illicit, illegal opioids and other dangerous drugs that are flowing into Alaska and poisoning Alaskans. We have three guests in studio with us today and one over the phone. Karen Malcolm-Smith is the president of the David Dillon Foundation. Sandy Snodgrass is the CEO of Alaska Fentanyl Response. And Commander Cornelius Sims is the commander of the Alaska State Troopers Drug Enforcement Unit. And U.S. Attorney for Alaska Lane Tucker is on the phone with us. You can join our conversation statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Karen, I want to turn to you now. Your work, just like Sandy 
unfortunately, is also motivated by personal loss. Mm-hmm. Would you tell us about why you started the foundation? Yes. Um, so in 2017, we had my my son was at an ATV accident at a young age, and um, a near death experience, and he was prescribed months of opioids. Then he was cut off without a taper. Um, so he struggled for several years um, and went back to college and got he struggled with alcohol and marijuana. And at the time, we didn't we were asking what's wrong with you instead of what happened to you. And it, really what he was trying to do is detox himself. Mm-hmm. When he got back to college, those neuroconnectors were still activated and he went to parties and tried um, started taking opioids that they were giving away freely. We were in Arizona for his senior year because my mother was sick. And so we, he willingly went there his senior year and it's a border community pretty much. Um, and the, the cartel's very, very strategic in Arizona. Um, and so everybody had pills at parties. Um, he got re-addicted and um, I actually, he and my nephew, I lost my nephew that year mm. um, from an overdose. And then five years later, my son was in and out um, and we lost him in 2017. And, you know, losing a child is probably the most, well, it is the the most significant noted form of PTSD that anyone can experience. Um, there's sadness, loneliness, loss of self. And, you know, for many people, many people don't make it or have thoughts of suicide. And I didn't. You know, and I, I, I think the first year I just was paralyzed. And and I, of course, I have a spiritual um, belief, too, that really helped me. But I really felt that, um, you know, connecting with other parents that could say me, too, was important for my healing. And I don't know. I was just compelled the very next year to start the David Dillon Foundation. And uh, we started bringing... Uh, interventionists up here and you know just different platforms ways that we could educate the public mostly an anti-stigma campaign four years ago we started doing this memorial event that we'll be talking about pretty soon but um, but I think you know every day we do something for a child when they're alive and this is my way of continuing to do something for him and to be his voice and to save other families from experiencing what I did and to connect with families that, you know, that are in the same position that I'm in, it's very, very healing. Well, yeah. I want to, <clears throat> as a, both a mother, a grandmother, and a community member, extend my condolences to both of you because I can't, I can't imagine the horror of that loss. And um, and but I get why you're so motivated to do the work. That that's. I'm sure what helps keep you going from day to day when it must get really, really hard. So I'm so sorry to both of you for that terrible loss. But Karen, talk a little about the gathering. You're, it's the fourth annual this this uh, coming weekend, mm-hmm. 2023, the, the Connection Memorial event. This year, th- there's going to be adding, last year there was crosses, uh, smaller crosses that represented the deaths in Alaska. <clears throat> this year, there's a plan for a 16-foot cross and resources for people who are still suffering with addiction. Tell us about the mission of the annual gathering and, and what, what you're endeavoring to do for Alaskans there. 
We started out the event four years ago, and it's become an annual event now. It was basically a platform uh, for people to come to share their grief. Many people, um, you know, come from situations where they're not able to share their grief, either because of family dynamics or a stigma, or they don't know how. So creating a platform for a stigma-free zone for people to come sign a cross for their child and agree with other mothers who've experienced the same thing, who can say, me too, is very healing for me and them, for all of us. So it's that's how it started, and now we're it's become a twofold. And what we have is a 36-foot fence that's pretty much slathered with over a thousand crosses, um, you know, signifying the you know horrendous amount of deaths that we've had here in the state. Um, and so people can come and sign the cross, but it's a twofold event. And we also have some of the top providers in the state that are all peer-led, all 100% peer-led professionals who, um, you know, Set Free Alaska, uh, True North, and CITC, who have people right on site that can help families, um, give them information on resources for people that are suffering. And we also are getting more and more people that are actually in their uh, trapped in addiction coming to the event to get help. The 16-foot cross that we've um, that we've constructed this year is to represent the number of fentanyl deaths and to bring awareness. Sandy, you will be there again. I was there last year, got training, uh, got some Narcan naloxone kits, um, and I want to talk a little bit about the when and why people should get engaged on that level in just a bit. But you're going to be holding a kit building session on Friday. Is that right? Talk a little bit about what that means. Yeah, on Friday between 1 and 3, AK Fentanyl Response and Project Hope will build naloxone kits, train and distribute naloxone kits throughout the three-day event. But that 1 to 3 kit build there's something about people coming together and seeing what's in the kits and learning about the naloxone and how to effectively recognize and then administer naloxone to someone, anyone in an Anchorage community. You could see them on the trail, you could see them on the side of the road, you could find them in a hallway in a hotel room. And we want to get as much naloxone out to Anchorage community members as possible to save lives and recognize that fentanyl is killing so many people in Anchorage and we can do something. Even one individual, I have a dear friend that had a naloxone kit recently and was driving down Spenard Road and saw a young man lying on the side of the street. She had just been to one of my events. She turned her car around and saved his life. So you can save a life with an naloxone kit. And I want to talk more about that in just a moment, but U.S. Attorney Tucker, you will be speaking at this event on Friday. What are you planning to focus on? Uh, so I think the most important message is that fentanyl is a poison. It is in everything. So you can no longer experiment with drugs. And to the extent that somehow people think maybe it will be made safer, our information is that the cartel's test their products on humans, on people, and if they die, they send it to us anyway. Uh, that, that kind of education is what we need. Um, and this isn't a scare tactic. It's real, and the numbers show it. 
All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the kits themselves. And as I mentioned last year at the event, I came down and, and got training. And uh, now I carry Narcan naloxone kits with me all the time. They're in my car. They're in my pocket because I'm on the trails every night. Um, but in years past, because I've been walking these trails for decades, in years past, when I would see someone lying on the ground, I would walk up quietly, make sure that they seemed to be breathing without any difficulty. And then I would just back away and leave them alone because, you know, there's no nothing illegal about laying on the ground and sleeping. And maybe they were just tired. Maybe they'd been drinking. But now when I see someone lying on the ground, I have a, a different level of concern because I'm afraid that they could be overdosing. And a couple of different circumstances. Uh, I saw a young man slumped over on a bench downtown and went to check on him. I saw a man laying by this parking lot at Costco in my neighborhood and went to check on him. And in the meantime, people are streaming by. No one is stopping, which kind of was alarming to me that um, until I could determine for myself that they seemed like, okay, they're just sleeping and they were responsive, you know. But I think that that's part of uh, my concern of when do I go and, and, you know, check on someone and how much checking should you do because somebody might answer, but that doesn't mean that they're still not at risk and in danger. What are the other things that we should look for as citizens uh, when you come across someone to know, should we be engaging in trying to help them or or calling for other, you know, law enforcement assistance or something? What are some of the things, Commander Sims, that you would recommend that just citizens do? I, I think you, you've touched on, you know, quite a few of them of just checking on them, see if they, you know, if they are responsive. If they're not responsive, by all means, uh, call for EMS, call for somebody uh, somebody else, if they don't have a kit on themselves, you have a kit. I mean, there'll be there's training on it, then you can take action. But if you don't have a kit, uh, you need to you know call somebody and you know, dial nine one one and get somebody on the way to to help. Mm. Um, it's it's as a community, we have to educate our we have to educate ourselves on on what's happening and and what it is. And and I to to sit at the table with these two ladies is is a, is an honor because of what they are doing and getting the the information out there. And in, uh, educating uh, the public because this is this is going to take all of us uh, to combat this. It's it's not just uh, those instructing on it, and it's just not those uh, enforcing the laws. Uh, it's it's a community um, a community issue and something that we we all have to take uh, an active response mm -hmm. in. Sandy or Karen, either one of you, both jump in here and well, and I think give it's some advice. I think it's important that we all. Carrying that we encourage the public to always carry naloxone, and to understand that you can't hurt someone if can't, they're not overdosing. You that can't, right. even a child could take it and not, because that was something that the concern that came to me from friends who said, "What? Are you sure you want to do that? Because what if you give it to somebody and they have a heart attack?" And I said, "You can't hurt someone." No. So helping people understand mm -hmm. that you're safe in applying it. Um, if they're not overdosing, no harm, no foul. And your efforts are protected under Good Samaritan the laws. The Good Samaritan laws, yes. There's no civil liability if something goes wrong. Um, your effort was to render emergency services to help somebody, and that's part of the Good Samaritan law, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Sandy? So I think it is very, very important that everyone have access to naloxone if they are willing to do that. I'm focused also on the prevention. So if you're administering naloxone to someone, that ship sailed. They are obviously involved in illicit drugs. So kind of one of the main goals of AK fentanyl response is to prevent people from taking illicit drugs very much like the law enforcement has said here today, if you hadn't, didn't get it from your pharmacist in a yeah. white coat, don't take it. So that message I don't think is getting out enough. Even to people that are using illicit drugs, I don't think they still know, many people still don't know that fentanyl is in everything. Well, it's the message that I've given my teenage grandchildren that, you know, I don't care if you've known somebody your entire life, if you're at a gathering and somebody offers you something, do not take it. And so we've had that conversation mm -hmm. often. And I think that you can't have it often enough with your children and your grandchildren and, mm -hmm. and other kids in your community that you care about. We need to take another short break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion on ending illicit opioids entering Alaska as Talk of Alaska continues. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Quality child care creates futures for families, children, and the state's economy. When children are safe, engaged, and learning, parents can work and everyone has a better outcome. Thread has resources to support your family in their childcare search. Knowing what to look for in a licensed facility is important for the safety of your children. Thread also offers parenting resources and support. To learn more about quality childcare in Alaska, visit threadalaska.org. This message sponsored by Thread. Invasive plants and animals threaten Alaska's environment and economy and can spread to new locations by hitching a ride. Anyone can help prevent the spread of invasive species by remembering to play clean go, removing all plants, animals, and mud from boots, gear, and vehicles before entering and leaving recreational areas will help stop invasive species in their tracks. Learn more at playcleango.org. This message sponsored by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're going to go to the phones for a moment. Once again, if you'd like to join our conversation in the final 10 minutes or so of our program, the statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 550-8422. You can also email talk at alaskapublic.org. On the line is Polly in Fairbanks. Hello. Well, good morning, Laurie. Uh, this, uh, my name is Polly Kochuk. I live up here in the interior city of Fairbanks. Um, I must let you know that I do have a suggestion for some of your guests, um, most notably our U.S. Attorney for Alaska, Jaylene Tucker. Um, you know, I, I believe a, um, a, a truly significant part um, should become a part of the village public safety officer structure is training rural Alaskan indigenous peoples to become, um, you know, um, to be part of the role in addressing this very significant harming um, element to our people in destroying their lives. But I, I truly believe that federal funding should be um, inserted in that category of training Alaskan indigenous uh, rural Alaskan people to become um, drug sniffers, and I'm just doing it quote-unquote. 
um, it would not only benefit them economically, you know, it would also um, elicit a, a pride in um, our people being a significant part in addressing this very alarming trend, which uh, um, has entered our communities in rural Alaska. And I must let the commander know of the Alaska State Troopers. About two and a half months um, ago, I did inform the Northern Detachment of the Alaska State Troopers with a tip that there was some very, um, very dangerous drugs in one of the interior villages here in Alaska. And after I um, explained to her this tip, she, um, she answered me very disdainfully, well, what do you want me to do? And I found that so alarming. And this must not occur again when concerned residents in, in Alaska try to do their part in helping all of us, because it affects all of us. Mm. And so I just want to um, let the commander of the Alaska State Troopers know that I did attempt to make a report, and I do want J. Lane Tucker to seriously sit down with tribal leaders on um, making this type of uh, suggestion, of, you know, part of the VPSO structure with federal funds. Well, Polly, thank you for the call. Commander Sims, would you like to respond? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, I will apologize for that response. Um, I thank you for calling uh, and, and bringing this up and, and for calling to make the report initially. Um, clearly, I'm, I'm not aware who may have responded in that way, but uh, I do not agree with it. Um, and I would encourage you to, to, continue, to continue to call. Um, I don't have the number right here with me for our actual drug office there in that I, I, I oversee. I don't have the I'm sure it's in my phone somewhere. Well, we can get it to uh, her. But yes, get you, get you that number and call them directly, uh, my office there directly, and to, to follow up on those tips. Uh, I will also uh, take on the, the VPSO because I do work I'll say across the street, across the parking lot from the, the VPSO director. And that is something and I'm uh, very familiar with the VPSO program. And that is something that uh, I would agree with. And I think that's something that we could uh, assist the VPSO program, statewide drug enforcement unit could assist the program with providing education, getting out to uh, the villages and, and talking to them. Kind of what we talked about here of being aware, what to look for and, and uh, how to respond. U.S. Attorney Tucker, uh how are you working with tribal leaders and law enforcement in rural Alaska? You you talked a little bit about some of the programs, the the Department of Justice campaign to combat violent crime in neighborhoods. How how does that work when you're working with rural communities? Well, we have a number of different ways we do that. We have a missing and murdered indigenous persons coordinator who has done consultations with well over a hundred villages. Uh, we also have a dedicated assistant U.S. attorney uh, to this effort, and we work on not just violent crime, but all the drivers of violent crime. I personally have traveled to well over a dozen villages. I go as often as I can to do education and outreach and um, talk about these issues. And one of the education things are the tips lines. They're anonymous. 
There's tips.fbi.gov. It's like you go on fbi.gov and it's right on the landing page. You can also call the Anchorage Field Office at 907-276-4441. And the Alaska State Troopers have their line is 907-451-5100. And they have an app you can make anonymous tips on. And so what I really encourage people to do is make as many tips from as many people as you can to these lines because we need probable cause to arrest someone. And the more tips we get, the more evidence we can gather. And in villages in particular, a villager will tell you everybody knows who's bringing in the drugs and alcohol. Mm. And we want to get the evidence so we can arrest those people and get them out because in these really small communities, one bad actor can destroy an entire community. Well, uh, thank you for helping us better understand that. We only have a, a few minutes left here. And Karen, I wanted to turn to you for a, a moment about something you said. You mentioned that social media has helped people come together that have experienced loss and are looking for community in that regard. So it can be helpful, but social media is also clearly part of the problem. So how do you balance those things? Well, social media is just part, one of the resources, you know, um, um, finding uh, resources uh, for grief um, and loss of child, you know, there's a lot of uh, social media resources, but I was talking about you know, that we do a lot of outreach by social media to ask the public to come to the event. Um, But as far as grief goes, I mean, there's a lot of connections online for people to to connect. Mm -hmm. Sandy? So um, social media, do you want me to? Yeah, so Snapchat. There's a national campaign against Snapchat a class action lawsuit by parents that their children ordered an illicit drug that they um, thought was a real pill, turned out to be fentanyl, and their children were found dead in their beds the next morning. Those pills were being delivered to their houses like a pizza every single day. 300 children are dying in this country every day from drug poisonings. Many, many, many of those are coming from Snapchat and social media outlets. Well, and folks should know, uh, if you, if they're not familiar with social media programs, that Snapchat is a program that I also dislike because I'm Snoopy. I want to look at what my grandkids are doing. And so I look when they're around, I will go into their phones. And Snapchat, you can't mm-hmm. check on because it disappears after right. so many hours. So mm-hmm. I don't like it either. Mm-hmm. So I think U.S. Attorney Tucker could talk a little bit about Snapchat Mm -hmm. and what the DOJ thinks of Snapchat. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you could comment quickly, because I do have one other final question about Narcan kits that I want to get to, but U.S. Attorney Tucker, please. Snapchat, are you going after it? Well, so not all of the activity on Snapchat is illegal, but we do everything we can to work (laughs) with, I mean, not just Snapchat, but all of these social media outlets. We work with those providers continuously on an aggressive basis to try to get them to stop the flow of illegal activity. And if we arrest someone and we can seize their devices, we search them to the greatest extent possible that is 
you know, through technology. Uh, sometimes for things like Snapchat, it's not as easy to search. So we don't like it. Mm-hmm. We want the evidence. Absolutely. So the the FDA approved naloxone last spring for over-the-counter sales. It's being distributed to f- for free right now for people who want kits. Now people may have to pay. That price could be between 50 to well over $100 for two-dose kits. What's your understanding about will there continue to be uh, a good supply of free kits made available? Because a lot of people, that's going to be a bridge too far for them to have to pay that expense. Sandy? So the state of Alaska has committed to me and to Alaska to provide the 8 milligram Cloxado, which is what I believe fentanyl requires a higher dose than lower doses like Narcan. Narcan is a 4 gram do- four milligram dose. Cloxado is an 8. The over-the-counter medication is going to be 2.5. So it's even going to be lower oh, than the Narcan dose. So I am not an advocate of over-the-counter naloxone kits. They are not a high enough dose to reverse someone from a fentanyl poisoning. And then my final question here in our few seconds is, the kits that I got last spring, I looked at them the other day and saw that they expired in July. So I need to come down this weekend and get new kits. But are there organizations that, I mean, I'm happy that I didn't have to use them, but are there organizations that if they're getting close to the expiration date, we could donate to so that they could get used before they expire? So the recommendation for naloxone kits that are near expiration is the young man that you saw on the trail the other night put it in his pocket. Oh, mm-hmm. brilliant. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whoopi, I want to mention that we'll be giving free naloxone kits this weekend at the event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. That's where I got mine last summer. Yes. Got the training, got the kits. Be there if you're in Anchorage this weekend. Thanks to, so much to my guest, Karen Malcolm-Smith, president of the David Dillon Foundation, Sandy Snodgrass, who is the CEO of Alaska Fentanyl Response, Commander Cornelius Sims, the commander of the Alaska State Troopers Drug Enforcement Unit, and U.S. Attorney for Alaska, Lane Tucker, on the phone with us today. Thanks to our engineer, Chris Hyde, our producer, Madeline Rose, and on the phones today, Michael Finelli helped us out. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.